0: You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The
1: voice of an awakening world. All right.
0: Welcome to World Spirituality. Exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions. With your host, Reverend Paul John Roach.
1: So yeah. the unity online radio network for our first show of 2021 happy new year everybody i'm your host paul john roach and i'm coming to you from a quite warm day actually in fort worth texas and this month we are looking at ways to kickstart the new year if you like by embracing our power and each show is on that theme Uh, we begin by looking at a powerful book entitled the final eight um it's enlist your inner cells to accomplish your goals the author of bridget dangle gaspard um is a, a psychotherapist she's a graduate actually of columbia university and she's the founder of the new york voice dialogue institute and the voice voice, excuse me, uh, voice dialogue, of course, is based on the work of uh, Hal and Sidra Stone. Uh, some of us might be familiar with their work, and we'll find out more about that in a minute. Um, Bridget has taught and led workshops throughout the U.S. And a former performer and comic, uh, she specializes in uh, how creativity works and how to overcome uh, creativity blocks. And since unity is a very creative uh, movement, spiritual movement, I think it's this is going to fit in very well for us today. So it's a joy to welcome Bridget Dangle, Gaspar, to today's show. Welcome.
0: Thank you. I'm so happy to be here and quite excited to start the new year together.
1: You know, I think I know what the final eighth is because I've been through the, the, it my, myself many times, and it's where you you sort of you, you think you're rocking and rolling. Uh, you almost got it all lined out and then for some reason, you know, can't quite finish it. You know, that might be a book or or a, a relationship uh um, anything in your life, really, where where you, you've got this goal, but there's something seemingly sabotaging you. Is Have I got the right idea of what that final eight is?
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's especially for hardworking, talented, dedicated people that are really doing the work. And then they mysteriously stop inside of the finish line, which makes it even more stressful. And, um, and it's like, what's going on? It's a mystery. And it could be anything, like you said. And it can plague people for years. That final five pounds you don't lose, being ready for a life partner, dating productively and continuing to cut things off when it starts to get intimate. That business plan... That just never gets finished, even though your idea is incredible and investors are waiting. Like the self sabotage at the very end of the road is the final aid.
1: And you know, it's not usually people outside of ourselves that are <laughs> uh, sabotaging this, right? I mean, uh, all systems might be going and we're, we're being encouraged to do this work, um, but somehow it's that in the inner selves that are problematic so tell us about that these these all these inner cells and I, in unity of course we're familiar with the the committee and and some of the the shadow selves that we might have the shadow side you know sort of Jungian psychology etc so um they, they lurk around don't they uh, unbeknownst to us often
0: absolutely and you're uh, you made me laugh because it it is it's an inside job because if it was something else, then it wouldn't be the final eighth. You would figure out, oh, this is a problem. Let me figure it out. But it's when it's a mystery. And yes, these shadow selves or some members of your inner committee are not on board with the plan. And I focus in my book on the work by doctors Hal and Sidra Stone, which you mentioned at the outset, who were are my mentors. Uh, sadly, Hal has passed away. Uh, After a lovely life, he passed away this uh, past year, Uh. but his work continues. And um, the idea that we are composed of many selves and that's a healthy personality and that each self has wisdom. And so the idea is with the voice dialogue method, you can communicate directly with each part and get their point of view and find out their wisdom as well as their sting, because parts have both wisdoms and stings and figure out what's going on because they're all trying to protect us in some form. And they are our allies. They might not be soft and warm and fuzzy allies, but they are still our allies because they're about protecting ourselves so that we survive and are not abandoned.
1: And I'm glad you pointed out you talked about healthy personalities or relatively healthy as much as we can be um, <laughs> but this this is not what we call multiple personalities right or dissociative um, identity disorder right with the many faces of, of Eve I think some of us are familiar with the with that or um, Sybil. That, uh, yes right um, that that's a um, that's a whole thing a whole different different that's thing. a
0: whole different thing, and that's uh, usually comes out of uh, trauma. That type of use of uh, the 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 term multiple personality disorder, as in something's wrong, and that is its own thing. And the idea is a healthy personality. It's when nothing is wrong in terms of illness, but that you actually have access to your different types of intelligences. And you know when you're going to a different self. That's the big difference between when it's a disorder. But the truth is we are not one person. And sometimes the pressure to act like always consistent, that there's always one part of myself that I lead with, that can make people not feel so good. But once you realize, wait a minute, I have this inner committee, and that that's healthy. Now, which members of my committee are best suited for the job? I like to say, which alter ego has the best superpower outfitted for the task?
1: Now, in this in this discussion, uh, you mentioned that there is a sort of a core sense of self, right, which you, you, you invite us to center in when we're looking at these other selves. So so some, some traditions call it the witness or whatever, um, or I may even call it the spirit within us, um, which which is um, observing all these personalities, right? Because if we didn't have that sense of core self, right, they'd be hard to, to look dispassionately at all the other selves. Is that correct?
0: Exactly. And a way I envision it is... It's like this core sense of self grows so that the more you realize, oh, I have different selves and they each have gifts and stings and agendas, my core sense grows. And I think that's one of the reasons... Thinking this way and what I really highlight and guide readers through in the book is that you get a sense that you're so much larger than you think you are. And that's transformational and inspirational so that this core sense grows. You're like, oh, I'm both sloppy and I'm neat and I can pick and choose, but I'm both of those. I'm not just one of those. And then I don't know what happens It's like you can hear people say that. I don't know what happened. My slob just came to the forefront and I got lazy all weekend. But if you're in touch with the slobby, lazy parts, and I use those words not because I judge them, but because people say that about themselves, I might say those parts have the gift of relaxation. You let go. You stopped being all in your type A personalities and that the gifts of maybe slobs and lazy selves... Are you relaxed? Maybe you're able to just be with your family, for example, instead of always having to be task-oriented.
1: Right. And I love that you said this because, you know, we, we reconfirm on this show all the time that we live in a both-end world, right? It's about embrace. It's not about i got to get rid of these unfavorable selves so that I can be me, you know? Uh, and and uh, you are you with all these selves, right? You just have to understand them in their right relation. They came as a blessing, not as a curse, ultimately.
0: I love that. Uh, And then when you really explore, you're like, wow, and what a blessing. It's often a mammoth blessing. So if you, for example, in terms of the final eighth, you've got seven eighths of the way there, and then suddenly you're stalled, you can go visit your resistor self, for example, and you can find out what's really going on. And in the voice dialogue method, again, I take people through this in the book you go to a different part of the room and you let that resistor talk from its point of view and it's got wisdom and just like you said that makes you embrace them and just like that friend of yours that you go to who you know is going to give you the hard advice it's like you've got parts of you that give you the hard advice sometimes but they're also the wise parts of you often
1: and you have a sort of a four-part checklist on this, don't you? Um, you know, what, in terms of the inner selves. First of all, what is their function? Uh, what is their key to success? You know, why do they exist? Why do they continue to exist within you? Um, what gift do they bring? Um, and then what's the sting? You know, what's what's the less favorable part? So, And I like the way you've outlined that because it gives you an understanding of um, sort of a holistic understanding of who these selves are, right?
0: Exactly. And so, for example, when we take goals that we cherish, we have worked hard for them. You are entering new territory by definition. You are growing, which is what one of the things I think we're put on the planet to do, to grow and develop you. So if You say, for example, have a good, a good, polite self is one of your primary selves. And that the secret to the success from that sales point of view is to always be nice. Well, you're not going to be able to grow your business if it's completely run by the always be nice rule of success or your elementary school success selves. Like just do your homework. You get an A and you can keep your head down and, and it'll all work out. That might be true with school, but it's not true if you're trying to expand your business or or maybe take a side business and turn it into your full business, because you have to be able to say no, put up boundaries. You've got to be able to negotiate. And sometimes being nice and polite is actually a disservice to your own growth. So you have to shift your relationship to your primary selves. And it's very exciting but it's also scary. I'm always surprised at how many very, very together people are really shattered when they realize that they can't go further using those elementary school rules of success. It's it, And it doesn't matter what field. I've worked with lawyers. I've worked with creatives. A lot of people really get upset when they're like, just doing the right thing isn't going to get me to where I want to go. No, you have to go to maybe more tender parts, depending on the person, or more, um, uh, like I, I just get this image of a Superman or Tarzan, where it's just like, take charge and take up space.
1: Well, and the, the, the problem with, you know, overemphasizing oneself is, is ultimately we rebel against that, right? We're, we're sort of pushed to the limit sometimes. I can't be nice anymore. And so this dark side element comes out of, you know, a raging person, perhaps, Ooh, ooh, and you think, where did that come from? This person's always been so nice, um, and I've seen that in myself as well. You know, if if you have too much of one thing, then there has to be a, a compensatory balancing. It seems to me, and sometimes that can be not look so good, right? If you haven't done any inner work, and so you you pushed yourself to the limit in one way. I think it's the same way with uh, you know macho man or whatever who can never cry, etc. You know, that's that's such a a hard road to hold to so always be tough. Right. And you. and, you know, eventually they break down and, and maybe even do things that would be, um, you know, damaging to themselves and others because the the sensitivity within them has been bottled up for so long.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And one of the things I think voice dialogue in the final eighth process offers, it's a really safe technique where you can help yourself control that because your only choice is um, you either get in relationship like to the vulnerable part and say the superpower part. Or you're right, there's always going to be an inner revolt. Eventually that not so nice or even that outright angry part is going to come out because it's just sick and tired of feeling taken advantage of, for example, and always having to be nice. Because the other thing, if you look at it, even that part that if you don't control, it could burn down the house. It's like fire. You want to learn how to control it, but you don't want to not have fire. You want to cook, you want to have warmth, but you certainly don't want anything to burn down to the ground. And, and if you have your own relationship with it, then you can bring up the fire when you need more and, da- and bring it down when it's not necessary. And so that's also empowering. And that's your only choice. You don't have a choice. Oh, I'm never going to be angry. Okay, but you've just set yourself up to fail.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and usually the minute we say that, you know, we're in a screaming row before the day's over, you know. Seems,
0: exactly. Seems that
1: that's the way it happens in our psychology. Know, so psychological makeup you know uh you got to be careful what you ask for or what you say you don't you'll never do because oh. uh, you'll be confounded immediately right um which is part of the you know the universe's way of, of again of balancing us out you know <laughs> um it so really how does is. all this fit into uh something like transactional analysis you know uh some of us are familiar with uh, the roles of uh, child and parent and adult um does that does that figure into the the voice dialogue system as well?
0: Absolutely. Um, and do you, are you familiar with the doctors Hal and Sidra Stone and their yes. voice dialogue work? Do you yes. know them? Have you?
1: I, no, I don't know them personally, but uh, yeah, I'm familiar with with their work. Absolutely.
0: Because of course there it's all of a piece in in that the what I call parts work of which transactional analysis is parts work as is voice dialogue, and so I would say it's very complementary. The approaches of different approaches have maybe uh different aspects to it, but they all really have the fundamental premise that a healthy personality consists of many selves, and these selves also serve different roles. And we don't confuse roles and selves. So you could be a waitress, but you could bring your uh, fabulous sweet self to your waitress job, or you could bring your sullen anti-hero to your waitress job. Which is, So we call the waitress would be the role that you're playing, or you could say a lawyer. Um, but then which selves, which parts of you do you bring? And then as you get into dialoguing with different selves and really understanding that you're much more powerful than you think you were, and also doing some healing. Some selves hold our woundings, and when they get expression and um, space and honor, then healing comes, and I think transactional analysis also talks about the roles these different selves have had to play in life and family dynamics. And again, I always like to say voice dialogue gives you a a boring premise, which is fabulous, which is more conscious choice. It really is not more complicated than that. It can be not so easy to do, but it's more conscious choice. Do you really want to bring your inner child to the negotiating table? Well, you'll do that unconsciously if you don't talk to your inner child. And then also talk to your strong leader. And uh, so they. I would say they share many uh, things. Gestalt, the same thing, even though it's an empty chair, it's still about bringing into your consciousness different parts of yourself and how they operate in the world.
1: So are they the, s- the same culprits, pretty much the same selves in everybody or... Does each person ha- I know each person has a unique relationship and flavor but but basically we have similar cells right the, you know, the controller the uh, whatever the pleaser the the raging bull I think you mentioned yes. um, you know yeah. so th- there's a similar basket of these cells right because we're all we're all basically the same human being ultimately.
0: Yes, I would agree that we do. We have uh, very similar selves. I think we have the potential to, to cultivate and grow different selves. And depending on our life, that happens, like even with COVID or social justice, some parts may have been awakened over this past year that people got involved politically, maybe in a way that they hadn't before because they they woke up in some way and wanted to, to become, to like, literally cultivate different parts of themselves or with having to adjust from going to an office to working remotely, all of those actual things that happen in the outer world force us or invite us depending on our attitude to incorporate and even cultivate new selves, which is part of what happens when you're stuck inside of your own finish line. You often need to cultivate different selves to get to that last little bit. And um, so I do think it plays out differently with different people, but yes, we have different selves and we lead with different ones, but everyone has a pleaser, I think, or, and then the archetypal selves and the shadow selves, we also all have because that's part of our human history, lover, mother. Queen, king, those also fit into this model.
1: Right, warrior. Yes. Yeah. You know, the, usually the cells we don't want to look at, we project onto others, don't we? And we seem to do this very uh, consistently. You know, we, we, <laughs> it, we, it's, oh, look at them, they're idiots. You know, look at their little whatever. Um, uh, but the good news there is if we can on, uh, own that and say, whatever I project is in me. I don't see it unless it's, it's within me because that's the way it works. Then, then it can be a, a wonderful wake-up call for us, right? The, the minute we start labeling others, it's like, uh-oh, I, I've got, maybe I need to look at that same quality within my own being. And, and initially, maybe there's, there's a, a resistor that says, no way, you know, and there's no way I'm, I'm like that person. But if we can persist, I, I think it can be very powerful work.
0: Absolutely. I, and, and I even have an exercise in the book that basically works on that concept. So for example, what you just said, I might say, well, let's go to the resistor self that says you absolutely don't have that self that you, that you judge. So we'll find out what the value of that resistor self, why they cannot bear the idea of say, I don't know, maybe judging someone for their being uh, stupid. They look stupid. So the resistor self says, We don't have, there's, you're not stupid. You're never stupid. So you can go to the resistor self that hates the idea. But if you have the courage, then you go to yourself that's actually stupid. But one of the things I like to do is that you use it, try to use a compassionate word. So what are some compassionate words for stupid? Maybe naive, beginner's mind. Like there's a lot of gifts that if you get out from under the judging, language you then get to see wow I'm calling this person stupid and really they're showing to me that I'm stupid when I act like I know it all I actually need the courage to enter my own stupid self which means maybe I don't know something and I have to ask for help but I may have a rule that says I shouldn't ask for help and don't be vulnerable so when you dare to explore And it is not easy sometimes. You open up a whole world of options for you and growth experiences. So absolutely, if you someone bugs you, ask yourself, what is that? What about that person bugs me? What are a few adjectives? And then if you dare, you can say, All right, where's my greedy one? Because they're usually negative terms like that. Where's my irresponsible one? Because we all have them and we like to put them in shadow. And if we bring them out, invite them to the light, they become our golden shadow and often have intense and wonderful gifts behind the judgment.
1: Right. Well, you know, when we look at some of our politicians, uh, we might say, my goodness, I can't believe they're still hammering at this, you know, but, but then you can say, you can put a a, a positive on it and say, man, that person is persistent. You know, they're, they're resolute in their determination. So rather than see it as a problem, you can say, oh, well, you know, there's a good quality right there, I guess, you know, at least they're persistent. So, um, and that can be a gift for me, you know, in what ways can I be more persistent or, or not, you know, maybe I can see that it's time for me to let go. I don't need to be like that or, whatever. In other words, there's creative ways to respond to anything that happens, yeah?
0: It gives you so many more options. Exactly right. Like, where am I being persistent beyond necessity or the opposite? Like you said, where should I actually be more persistent? Mm -hmm. Because I would argue I've never seen it be random. If someone bugs you or some aspect bugs you, it is reflecting something about you. It's not maybe. It is. And again... If you really isolate one to three adjectives, then that often helps you say, okay, now I can dive into these adjectives. Um, Because someone else might take that same politician, whoever you're talking about, and it doesn't matter, and say, what I don't like about that politician is he, she is always so loud and talks so fast. And it just makes me, and you might hear persistence and I might hear just like a loud, obnoxious person then you might look at your persistent self, but I may have to look at say, all right, what part of me is loud and obnoxious? So we can't even assume that the person we both agree annoys us. They may annoy us in very different ways, which means we've got different work to do for our personal selves in terms of that annoying person, whether it's someone famous that we don't know or a friend or a colleague.
1: And the bottom line is, as I like to say, it's all grist for the mill, right? Everything is useful, uh, no matter what it is. So there's a famous story, I think, from Gurdjieff that, you know, was a member of his group that was always obnoxious. And uh, eventually he left and everybody, the rest of the group said, oh, thank God he that irritating person is gone. Well, Gojieff ran off and and got him back, hired him and said, I want you back here. And everybody was upset that he came back. But Gurdjieff said, no, we need him around. You know, he's he's the one that's uh, sparking our uh, resistance and, and therefore our, our opportunity to grow. And uh, so it, se- it seemed like the worst thing. But in fact, it was the it was the best thing. And the, the, I think a lot of life is counterintuitive like that.
0: That's brilliant. Exactly. And even corporations, I'm understanding, they're trying to make sure they have a few pessimists on their team because Uh they want that it's it is a gift it's not fun
1: yeah 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 that's good folks we're at the break i'm i'm with uh, bridget dangle caspar and we're talking about her beautiful book the final eighth enlist your inner Cells to accomplish your goals let's take a break we'll listen to some messages from unity and then we'll be right back to discuss some more join us then
0: Listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an
1: awakening world.
0: We now return to world spirituality with Reverend Paul John Roach.
1: All right, welcome today am with bridget engel gaspard and we're talking about her book the final eighth enlist your inner Cells to accomplish your goals and as we were mentioning uh in the break uh this this is a wonderful book for the new year because it's all about accomplishing and setting goals um, and those goals are a little deeper than just resolutions you know because i i find resolutions don't often work because they're they're nice ideas, but then, you know, after a few days, we've forgotten about them. We're back to the to the grind. Whereas the, this uh, this book really shows creative uses of all parts of ourselves and, uh, as an ongoing uh, tool, if you like, for uh, self-investigation and self-transformation. And uh, I, I love the idea that everything's useful, right, that uh, all parts of ourselves are, are, are good, ultimately, um, you know, and and some old-timey ways of looking at things. We've got to get rid of all the negative and whatnot, and and will be positive all the time. You know, like Stuart Smalley, I'm 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 good enough, I'm smart enough. and <laughs> By golly, people like me and all that. Um, you know, which is which has its place, right? The, that positive-mindedness, but it's also good to to embrace all aspects of who we are. Yeah, the
0: other thing about goals versus resolutions, because I don't like resolutions either. And you just made me think of this is that usually those resolutions are made by certain parts of ourselves, the Mm -hmm. ones that want to be good or, and there's nothing wrong with that, but they only take in a few aspects of yourself and they don't work because it's like the full committee is not on board to use your term from earlier and so yes the final eighth really is about finding out what goals inside of you are supported by which parts of you
1: yeah interesting
0: and so some of our parts are still attached to core negative beliefs And that, I find, is a lot of what's happening when it's a mystery why someone gets really close to their goal and doesn't cross it. Some of those selves that are stopping the progress are literally attached unconsciously, it's a distorted loyalty to beliefs like, I'm I'm not good enough, things don't work out. And these often are family-given ways of looking at the world, or I'm not good enough, or I'm not lovable. And so when you get close to success, suddenly there's a problem because suddenly your worldview is challenged. Like if you're finding the person and you're moving into deepening your relationship and moving toward becoming life partners, but there's parts of you that fundamentally and incorrectly believe you're unlovable, suddenly you'll sabotage the relationship because it, it won't make sense inside. Like how can love be happening when love is impossible. And the in my book I really help people identify what core negative belief might be at foot and then which selves believe it and then we can upgrade them and we can let them know it's just not true. It's true they were told that, it's true they were made to feel that they were less than somehow, but it's not true. And often the block just evaporates when those selves are basically given better things to do. And I have an exercise where you give parts of yourself more important, more sacred jobs often than defending a false belief like you're not good enough. And that's that pleasure and the gift of often the pain of being stuck is it forces you to figure out what's going on. And then you meet these parts of yourself and you think, wow, I've done so much work and you have, but you still have not completely let go of some of those early core negative beliefs that are the gravitational pull and stopping your progress.
1: You talk about the double bind in this regard, you know, and I think there's there's parts of us that are sort of the perfectionist, you know, that has to have everything perfect. And yet there's, there's a double bind there. The other side is, It'll never be perfect. I'm not good enough, et cetera. It will always fail, you know. And I think a lot of people's relationships falter because of that. And they set up this 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 yardstick of perfection that can never be reached, if you like. Uh, And then, oh, yeah, well, I knew it wasn't going to happen, you know, because, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, And I had a friend once who, you know, she she had a. Have uh, the the exact same meal at, at a certain restaurant at a certain time, or play a certain piece of music at a certain time, or load the dishwasher a certain way, or whatever. And if if that didn't wasn't accomplished, then you know the whole world fell apart. So it was like a controlling perfectionism, or whatever. But I think she applied the same thing to relationships. You know, so so every every relationship was uh, it was doomed to failure because because of that uh, rigidity. So but it's hard isn't it hard to go beyond that
0: yes and that rigidity is 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 really problematic so it, with our voice dialogue work we would talk to the part that was rigid and we would use again compassionate language like Why is it? And and we would ask, we wouldn't be trying to change that part's point of view. Why is it so important that you have this meal at this time every night or that the dishwasher is done such a way all the time? And you'd find out, and usually that part would actually be a part connected to the core negative belief. And you find out, even though it's a distorted belief, that somehow she's going to feel feelings of vulnerability and anxiety because that part's literally trying to make it perfect and this definition of perfect has set herself up to fail and so often just starting to be aware that these selves are in one way trying to protect her but in another way they're the wall between the thing that she wants which is a good relationship and so that's the double bind that you can't like you're building your own wall against the thing that you want so you have to be the one to let go and then you go to the other side like the part that wants the love or um, that kind of thing and then the flexibility when you go back to center is having compassion for the part of you that wants to protect you but then daring to try new ways and If I was working with this person individually, I'd say, let's try some experiments. Don't let a whole day go by 24 hours where you do not wash a dish, things like that. Many of my exercises are kind of fun because they're like, try to be more sensual or trying to do fewer tasks. And it's amazing how much vulnerability at first and then excitement and play. And like you had said earlier, the idea of doing something new is so energizing and um, intriguing and motivating and often that double bind kind of melts when you start to understand the with compassion what these parts are protecting and then the flexibility kind of grows out of that
1: you know there's one thing you mentioned in the book that i found intriguing and that is so uh, you said put your goal out to pasture <laughs> um, you know, sometimes just uh, releasing the need to have a goal in, the, in that in a certain sense, you know, trying to make it right. The, the, the surrendering or letting go um, really gives us the freedom that then we can truly set our goals, if you like. Right. All the goals change. We we think we have to have it a certain way. Let's put it like that. And yeah. Sometimes letting go uh, brings a whole nother field of, of possibility into play.
0: Yes, I wrote that chapter partly because when I was writing the book, it was to help and it's a culmination of my life's work. And I suddenly realized, wait a minute, this book is only about sort of the doer selves, the type A selves. And I thought, I got to devote a whole chapter to those other selves because it is not about the goal per se. And that's exactly right. Some of us have outgrown the goal. We don't want it anymore. And that's why we're stuck. But they're afraid to admit it. Or again, this whole idea of, well, I should be consistent because I wanted it before. I should continue to want it. And there's so much in this chapter that says, gives you permission to get free of that. And that you ask, is this really your goal? But maybe it was never your goal. Or sometimes it's a purely success issue. You got your goal. Now what? And you see this with athletes. You won the Olympics. Maybe you do it again. But after that, you have got to think of something else to do. So that's the other thing is that sometimes the reason you're in this kind of stuck position is because you've completed your goal. You are now moving into a first eighth and that's exciting. But um, if you really think about it, then it can be something that you genuinely want at this time in your life. And not because someone said you should or you tell yourself you should do something.
1: Right. You know, there's an amusing ad on television right now, which shows a a therapist, you know, helping people move beyond imitating their parents. You know, they're doing they're doing the same old things that their parents did. They didn't really want to do these things, but that dad or mom did it, so I'm doing it. And and he amusingly helps them, you know, stop those patterns, and and it's it's quite funny. But, it's but,
0: hilarious.
1: Oh, you've seen it too. Oh, I
0: love them. I, I literally yeah, laugh out loud.
1: Exactly, they're very good. They nail it. And uh, but what's what's cool about it is you know it's true, isn't it? So often we we think we're doing things from our own volition, but it's coming from somewhere else. It may be coming from our parents, or it's coming from a an outworn dream of our childhood or something like that. Um, and and looking at these cells gives us the opportunity to say. You know, is this real anymore, or is this just the trap that's, that's holding me back? As you say in one of the chapters, from impasse to kick ass. I like that <laughs> uh, because there's so many things that uh, keep us back. You know, uh, unbeknownst to us, because a lot of these cells are sort of hidden, aren't they? They're um, they're secret.
0: Absolutely, and that's another uh, chapter that I devote called "Practice Safe Success," because. That's exactly right. We have these distorted loyalties. We play small unconsciously because in terms of our parents, maybe there's guilt for surpassing them. And it doesn't make logical sense. And because something doesn't make logical sense, people think it doesn't exist somehow. It's like, it's not logical and thus uh, it's inexplicable. And I always say, if it's not logical, then it's emotional. So let's go hunt and see what's going on emotionally. And so often you have to practice safe success. You've got to do things differently and maintain them, or you could fall back to old patterns and thus basically move into things you thought you wouldn't do that your parents did, for example.
1: You know, you've got a list of things that, uh, we use to sort of avoid growth right um substances um i i guess you know drugs whatever numbing things um habits like that uh ideas we you know we can have a rigid system of belief that prevents us from really, really looking uh a mirage goal forgiveness and blameography and poisoned assets let's talk about a few of those what's what's the mirage goal
0: so, a mirage goal is especially effective for people who have lots of doer selves. So, they're very busy. So, they feel like they're moving toward their goal, but they're not just kind of like they're doing their elementary school ideas of success, but they're not really thinking in a new way. And so, they're not really pursuing their goal. One of the classics, and there's even initials for it, the ABD, all but dissertation. So people who have got done taken all the classes and continue to do research and start but never finish their dissertation, that would be a mirage goal at a certain point. Like you've got to stop research and you have to move into finishing this paper. Otherwise, it's a mirage goal that you're going to be completing your dissertation and getting a PhD because you're not doing it. You can be busy, but you're not actually moving and getting your paper written and and given to the professors to get judged. Because a lot of times people stick with the Mirage goal because unbeknownst to them, mysteriously and unconsciously, they're afraid of judgment. And it's clear that people are afraid of judgment that's negative, but a lot of people have judgment that's fear of judgment that's positive. They don't realize it. but. Either way, it's judgment. So what if they're afraid of attention and they give their dissertation to get looked at by the professors and the professors are like, this is amazing. You should write a book and and we should have you on the uh, college radio station to talk about this. For some parts of some people, that's actually terrifying. Too much attention. So the Mirage goal keeps them busy and not really focusing on what's happening underneath
1: right Marianne Williamson wrote you know that we we fear that we the the fear of success is greater than the fear of failure right it's uh, it requires too much of us so it's better to hide away and oh well I could have been a contender kind of mentality
0: yes yes and and the final eighth it's you're going from contender to victor and that is a identification transformation and i think often that's another thing people don't realize you are transforming when you're going from contender to victor and that's a big deal
1: absolutely the
0: other other thing you mentioned was the um uh oh uh, being addicted also to just ideas because that can be so euphoric and so some people then when it comes down to like starting to put those ideas into form That's a whole different set of selves that have to make something go from an idea to an actuality, and it's often much more difficult, if not always. And so that's another form of a high, like the high of ideas, but it becomes a mirage goal if, again, you never really get anything into form.
1: Well, you could be... I was going to say you can be enlightened in your head, you know, but with no, no no way to put it into practice in your life. You know, there's a big difference between understanding the truth, right? And you you can even convince yourself you you're on a a spiritual high in in your, in your head. But, but, but then when it comes down to loving other people or, or, uh, you know, activating this in in our real lives, it's like, no way, you know, I want to hang out in this bliss zone where where everything's great, but that, that's not really doing the work. You know, we, 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 again, we have to integrate all aspects of our being, right?
0: That's a great example. That's exactly right. And then the poisoned assets that you talked about and i have a whole section on this it's actually very painful and i a lot of people aren't aware of this and some of this is done early in people's lives and it's not because parents were necessarily bad but for example i had a client who grew up in a very rough neighborhood her parents were immigrants and so they were they were very uh on her to to keep to not express a lot and so Um, because they just wanted they worried about her physical safety and then eventually when they could afford it they moved but there was still this fear that was embedded in her and especially in terms of her smiling because her parents didn't want to invite any attention because they just wanted her to go to school and move and and get the american dream so she unconsciously started to think her smiling was something bad about Mm. her And as a result, that morphed into her. She did not allow herself to have joy. And it was because she was terrified of it because her parents were so scared and she was naturally outgoing. Like they had a child whose temperament, an infant was an extrovert. And so that asset, her extroversion, her ass, her smile, her wanting to connect was, was poison. And so voice dialogue when you start to realize this in the final eighth process i sometimes consider a detox so she began to have her own adult relationship with her smiling and her inviting the world in and her playfulness and she could also honor the really rough journey and multiple and beautiful sacrifices her parents made and that it was inadvertent they didn't they didn't mean to make her smile and her connecting a painful part of her but it happened and then once she was freed of that she could both love her parents much more fully and she could enjoy sensuality and playing and in terms of intimacy a much better relationship with her partner
1: good lord you know it's amazing we're functioning at all right given all the things that can (laughs) be problematic in our lives um, and so, yeah, that, but that you know, it instills compassion, really. You know, I think you, when we realize that everybody's suffering, you know, there's that great line, isn't it? It's become a truism now. You know, be kind. Everybody is fighting a, a great battle, and, and uh, it's so true, right? We're, we're all we're all dealing with all these, um, you know, interesting mix of things in our consciousness, and, and then what we project out into our world. What's your br- blameography? What's that?
0: so the so again back to what you were saying in a bit about like um, how the world kind of mainstream world i guess i should say thinks is like it's not good to blame people that somehow that's wrong and that's focusing on the negative but again if if the negative is what's coming up you need to focus on it not because it's negative but because it needs to be explored because it's here and so often there are these parts that are rigid about what good people do, and you don't blame people. And so in my practice, I began to think, well, all right, let's do a a little taboo exercise. And again, that is uh, a little provocative in a good way. And so the idea is it's like a bibliography. You just do the source and you blame the person. And it's just for you. And there's something about the exercise and freedom to do that that is just... Uh, Enriching and enlivening, and often that's again, it's it's enough to free you. So, you know, I um, I revealed some of my own personal stuff in the book. My father had addictive issues, and so I wrote my blameography. My dad and that in from my point of view he chose his addictions over me now as my more adult parts would understand he had his own journey and that's not necessarily the case but with the blameography i got to say how i felt for my inner child and i got to just say what i felt and that was so freeing and then a consequence a side effect was my compassion for my father and that was really freeing. But if you had asked me to like forgive him, there were parts of me that did not want to. But the blameography, where I let my inner child just speak from its point of view, gave me the compassion so that I naturally moved into a more forgiving spot. Even though I didn't want to forgive from certain points, so it's that's the it's a paradox exercise where you actually end up moving into forgiveness because you're allowed to blame. You have permission for those parts to just say, "I blame this and I blame that and that's that."
1: So who's in charge around here?
0: Good question. So I would say, <laughs> in, it's in in a way back to transactional analysis, we are growing better inner parents for ourselves. That I think that, so who's in charge ends up being a more mature self, a more mature self, which includes many more aspects of ourselves. So when we say self, maybe we should think of a different word, but that's who's in charge. And in a way through the process, you become a better parent to yourself you have more patience for your own inner children for your own flaws you don't worship perfection in the same way if that's something that you do and then it's like the person in charge it's like it is is a more is a more mature enlightened even larger sense of yourself
1: and you say you know have safe success right um I think you quote um, Mike Tyson, actually, that said some of the most dangerous times uh, was when he had success, when he was winning. I thought that was quite insightful of him because oftentimes success can go to our heads or um, it could make us feel like, well, what next? I feel let down or I can aggrandize ourselves, whatever. So safe success is balancing again, isn't it? It's knowing that, yeah, that was great, but... There's, there's something more than just that success,
0: right? And if you if there were parts of you who mistakenly thought that a particular success was going to just give them, I don't know, ongoing serenity for the rest of their life or whatever the right. um, the dream was, it's just not true because we are humans living on this planet. And I really like that. And also with Mike Tyson, my understanding is that he'd then go back into debt. And really mess up his life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think many more people do that. Back to uh, Marion Williamson. They have less tools to handle their success and their gorgeous light than they do. Because the other thing is lack of success or being stuck is the known. And we humans are geared to be a little shy of the unknown. Some of it's biologically hardwired. So that's the other part. We have to work harder to maintain this new status, which is a transformational status. And success is something that you need to be active about maintaining. And I don't mean goals. I like what you said. I, I mean, in terms of resolutions, it means in having a rich, conscious life.
1: Yes. And I I think this is the good news about uh, the show today, isn't it? We're still in the middle of of COVID. It may be 2021, but not a lot has actually changed. You know, we're still having to deal with um, the seriousness of everything. We're still, in some senses, locked down. Um, But what you're referencing here is all the work we can do within ourselves, you know, which is deep and rich, and we don't have to go anywhere to do this, so... You know, get hold of the book, folks, because uh, there's a lot in here. We've covered uh, some of it, but there's a whole lot of more. And it's full of exercises, too, that you can really uh, practice and uh, f- find useful ways. I mean, uh, as Bridget said, she's poured out all, all her wisdom and knowledge in, into this book, uh, and it shows. Um, let me tell you about next week's show, and then I'm going to ask Bridget to give us uh, some words of advice just for a few seconds, Okay. Um, just to go forward into this week. Um, next week, it's again, on the theme of empowerment, uh, Christine Arrio is t- coming and talking with me. She's going to talk about overwhelm and getting over it. So that, that should be good too. But now let me ask Bridget to give us uh, in in the last 30 seconds here some words, words of wisdom. You've already given us a lot, but just something to take into the week with us.
0: Be curious about what part of yourself is getting triggered and notice it and then ask that part. So tell me more about yourself and be curious because there's a lot of good that's coming out of these tumultuous times. Even though there's problems, there's a lot of good.
1: Stay curious. What a great word for for the week. I'm going to use it myself. Thanks, thanks Bridget, for being on the show. Wonderful show.
0: Oh, thanks for having me.
1: And thanks for listening, folks. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye now.
0: Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio